Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed and past performance does not guarantee future results. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Good morning again. Good morning. Apparently, I butchered our website before we went into the break. Tim told me I mispronounced it, but... What what did you say? I didn't know (laughs) Apparently, I said McNamaraFinancial.com, and then... Merrimack of the Merrimack. Merrimack. I think that's, yeah, I think. <laughs> our other website Merrimack. is McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com for our Merrimack Valley location. <laughs> Tim was like, I think you said MerrimackOfTheMerrimack.com. That's all right. I don't for know what that For our long-time listeners, is. they'll still know what you're talking about. It's okay. Yes. So my bad. It's early. It's okay. It's early, yeah. yeah. I Are you kidding me? I set my alarm for 4.45 oh, this morning. Wow. Oh, mm, okay. <laughs> I usually do my radio prep in the morning. Hey, I'm just cool. much, I'm much, my head is much more clear at 5 a.m. with a cup of coffee than it is at 8 p.m. All right. Hey, that's cool. Yeah. So I just, that's just my normal schedule. And I just stick to, once your body is used to getting up at the same time every day, mm, like it's yes. best to just stick to it. When I, sometimes when I sleep in, it's almost worse for me because then I ruins right. me for the week. <laughs> anyway, I digress. All right. I think it's great at, I love to do shows in times of market volatility because I think it's, I know this is a very stressful time for people, so I hate to use the word fun, but I think it's, I think giving perspective is very helpful for people in times, uncertainty, economic uncertainty, market volatility. So I think shows like this are fun largely because I get to talk a lot about numbers and (laughs) dad told me 20 years ago, numbers don't make for good radio, but I've spent the last 20 years agreeing with him and trying to prove him wrong. I think numbers make for great radio. And I love numbers. And what are our ratings? We're doing. (laughs) Did we just lose? Did we just lose 100,000 listeners because I said that? I don't think so. I'm not even sure if we have 100,000 listeners. Or anyway. Sure we do. All right. I want to talk about market-related stuff. Markets are down year-to-date. We're no longer in bear market territory at the moment in the U.S., but we did hit bear market territory mid-June or mid-July? Mid-July. No, I think it was mid-June we hit bear market territory, and then July was like a great month. Anyway, one of those two. But but it's people are still, I think, largely uncomfortable. There's still a lot of negative news out there related to the markets, account balances for, I'm assuming, most, if not all people are temporarily down in value. So it's an, un, it's an uncomfortable time to be an investor, let's say that. But I think perspective is incredibly helpful at times like these, such as my mission in during volatile times. So let's talk about rates of return over different periods of time. I think that's a great way to give perspective. And we'll play a little game, Justin. Ready? All right. Dad always plays games. <laughs> I know, I know. And I'm using Dad's favorite website to do some of the, some of the calculations too. <laughs> but I, ha- well, I use some other sources as well. All right. If we go back 100 years, very long oh. period of time, what do you think the average annual rate of return for the S&P 500 <laughs> is? If we go back a hundred years, oh man, a hundred years. September of nineteen twenty-two. 
That's before the Great Depression, so. Through um, August of 1922. So this is with full dividend reinvestment, if you would like to clarify that. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. 10% which is, per year. Which is the way most people report S&P return. Ding, ding. That's pretty good. Right, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. That was Tim, not me. How did you do that so quickly, Tim? <laughs> I've had these sound effects in here for a while. I'm ready if you're doing a game. I'm ready. We got them. That's actually really good, Justin. Rate of return with full dividend reinvestment of the S&P 500 going back 100 years is 10.4%. Nice. It really doesn't change much year to year. All right, all right, all right. A that large. Even before this bear market, it was probably 10.45%. All right, all right. Let, let's go back, f- all right, 50 years. Wait. Oh, man. So 50 years would be what, 1972, September of 1972 through August of 1922. What do oh, you think? Man. Average return of the S&P 500. Maybe high. Does it be higher, maybe? I'll say, I'll say... Uh, it does round up to 11%, but it's still very close at 10.6%. Wow. So uh, we'll do. Change, huh? No, that is not much of a change. Let's do, what would 25 years be? 1997 to 2022? Yeah, let's do that. All right, 25 years. 1997, September, mm. mid mid-tech boom. I bet this one's lower. I bet it's eight and a, eight and a half. 1997. September through 2022 August. Okay, I, honestly, oh, we need a louder ding. Justin is on the money today. <laughs> can you tell it? Are I, you? Do you have the same website pulled up? What did you say? Eight and a half. Eight point one. Oh, okay. oh Justin, you're so smart. That was good. Yeah, eight point one percent. Okay, now. If you go now, let's talk about just the data that I have. Yeah, ro- rolling returns. Sorry, that was like rolling. That was an annual calendar years. That was rolling from present or from August. All right, year to date through September 9th, S&P 500 is down, looks like 15%, an uncomfortable amount. However, I have some statistics to go through in a little bit here, but the average bear market the S&P declines 36%. Yeah, the aver- and just to be clear, the average bear market, you the average bear market could not be less than 20% because it's not right. a bear market until it is 20. So you're talking about all the markets that have gone down 20 and then in this case have gone down further. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. But, so that's the bad news is that the S&P 500 is down 15% year to date through yesterday. But the three-year... Oh, do you want to guess? Do you want to keep playing a game? You might have oh. seen these recently running some reports. Three-year rolling average return for the S&P 500 is... It's still high. It's still like, pretty high. Is it like 8 7 or 8%? No, it's 12.2%. We yeah, we had the COVID years where we were looking around at ourselves saying, wait, how was yeah. the market going? <laughs> we had a really... 2019 yeah. was really good. Actually, yeah. I pulled actually I pulled the calendar year returns too because I'm so prepared this morning. 2019, S&P was up 31.5%. Calendar 2020, S&P was up almost 18.5%. Yeah. And calendar 2021... S&P 500 was up almost 29%. So we had three ridiculous calendar years, the three the three immediate prior years where yep. the S&P in in two of those three years, actually almost all of those three years 
almost doubled or tripled its long-term average. So I remember sitting with clients the last couple of years and being like, first of all, meetings are so easy when (laughs) the markets are (laughs) roaring. But I remember being like, these are crazy numbers. Please don't get used to these numbers. These are very overachieving returns for the U.S. We can talk about international markets here in a little bit, but really crazy high returns for the last three, three years. To the, to, and so for that reason, even though markets are down double digits year to date, I should say S&P 500 and international markets are actually down more than that. But <clears throat> the three-year rolling average is still over 12% per year, which exceeds its long-term average. The five-year rolling average is actually through yesterday was exactly the same. The three-year was 12.21 and the five-year was 12.21. And I ran it twice to see if there was a mistake, but no, it's exactly the same through that period of time. So the five-year rolling average return of the S&P is 12.21%, which exceeds its long-term average. And the 10-year rolling return of the S&P is... 12, almost 13%, 12.97%. So again, exceeds its long-term average. So even though we're mid, I just think that perspective is so, it's just so helped. It's uncomfortable for people right now to, to see a year-to-date return. And of course, investors always remember like the highest number that they see. So if they're like looking yeah. at their monthly statements or logging in every day or every week, they're always going to remember the highest number they see. And that's how much money they should have. They should always have yeah. that much money. <laughs> that's just normal. And so it's hard for them to see a balance that's temporarily lower, but, and to see a rate of return and our reports will show market value decrease in parentheses, right? And for people that have large amounts of money invested, this can be a large dollar amount, right? A 10, 10, 12, 15% decline can be a a, a sizable dollar amount for people that have sizable amounts invested. So that can be uncomfortable to see several hundreds of thousands of dollars in temporary downward fluctuation or market value decrease. So certainly a very uncomfortable situation for some people. But if you, like, if we were running our reports, and I didn't have that year to date or that rolling 12 month return on that report. And I was just showing, okay, here's your three year return. Here's your five year return. Here's your 10 year return. I don't think anyone would be uncomfortable in a meeting. And then that's all perspective. And of course we're, (laughs) I don't, present performance that way. First of all, people know that we're in a downward fluctuation, so it would be weird. But I, and you also, of course, don't want to, it's not that it would be lying, but you, of course, don't want to mislead your clients and investors when you're reporting. So, of course, we don't do that. But the point is perspective. And if you, if you just were focusing on the longer term returns versus what's happening right now in the moment, I just think people would be, I don't think they would have the same, I know they wouldn't have the same level of discomfort because the numbers are still pretty good going out three, five, 10 years. Different story with international markets. And I don't know if we want to get into those weeds today. I, I suppose, think we should. But I suppose yeah. we should, yeah. But <laughs> Unfortunately. I, we yeah. should. But let's just hold off on the international market discussion for a minute. Yeah. I... One of the things I've noticed, uh, we were talking offline about this before the show, One of the things I notice with investors, and I think I'm noticing it more now with regards to reporting returns, because the time period, as we just were, I was just proving this point as well, that the time period that you're examining and reporting return over is very, is important and can change the numbers quite a bit. Of course, the longer you go out, 50 and 100 years, the number's not going to change quite as much. But if you have three, five, 10, 15, even 20 years and you're examining returns over different time periods, i.e. different times in market cycles, 
that those, the time period that you're reporting can in sometimes quite significantly alter the returns. And I think, I th- again, I think I'm noticing it more now because whenever your time, as you and I know, whenever your time period of reporting ends in a down market, it's going to negatively affect the overall return versus if we were reporting through 1231 of 2021, for example. And so I'm, I'm just, just more top of mind right now that I think people are, they don't have, I guess, pers- perspective to understand that, okay, the number is just this because this is the time that we're reporting. That doesn't necessarily mean that's how you're portfolio is going to perform ongoing. That's not necessarily the expectation. Does that make sense? Yes. I don't know if I'm eloquently explaining that. No, yeah, it's, uh, and again, I know that for folks who haven't gone through the exercise of, kind of, and maybe I don't know how, what percentage of folks can even actually look at their investment performance, but the numbers, the differences between measuring your returns at the end of 2021 and say in, in July of 2022, it's staggering. It, it, look, it doesn't even look like it should be possible for yeah. for your, your, at least your intermediate term returns to change that much. So we were, as you mentioned, we spent all of 2021 for the most part saying, hey, this is great. Don't get used to it. There's no way that returns are going to keep up on this pace. And then most of this year is essentially saying the opposite, right? Where, hey, this is this is likely to be shorter term, right? Obviously, we don't know when the bear market's going to end. It could go on long. It can last longer than eight or nine months, certainly. But again, it's adding the perspective of this is what's happening right now and it's not going to define, this doesn't mean that it's permanent. The 2020, 2021 returns were not gonna be permanently high forever and the 2022 reduction in your returns is also, again, not guaranteed, but yeah. likely not to be permanent based on based on history. But the difference between them is just, you, you could say there's no way that this is the same portfolio yeah. where it had these crazy investment returns in, at the end of 2021 and now here we are six months later and it looks terrible. So yeah. it's just, it's, you can do that exercise with your own portfolio. I think it's certainly worth it because it does add the perspective of, oh, okay, it looks like everything is just temporarily except the very, very long-term returns. If you're out 10 years and more, it doesn't change that much. But even that, it does certainly change. Yeah. I was trying to, I was going through and trying to find like different periods of time to find some staggering differences in the return. Of course, it's just whenever we do these calculations, it's just easiest to calculate with the S&P 500. But I do want to have a discussion regarding the difference between the S&P 500 return and your portfolio's return. And I think, again, people lack perspective on that as well. They hear about the markets on the news and they inevitably think that, well, they're portfolio should be performing in a similar way. And I guess if you're 70, 80, 90, or 100% invested in the S&P or similar stock investments, that then you could expect that. But many, in my opinion, anyway, prudent investment strategies would be more diversified. So I, I do want to talk about that. But really quick before I get there, I, I was trying to look at some different time periods to, again, prove this point of how much it, it can matter in terms of return reporting. And like, the, so the, the best times, you and I know that the best time to report performance, if I think about a time period, starting and ending period, the best time to report is bottom of a bear market, which is like yep. the bottom of the mountain yep. to the top of a 
bull market, which is the top of a mountain. So I always talk about markets in terms of two mountains next to each other in a valley in the middle. And if you report your return from the valley up to the right-hand side mountain, the top, the peak of that mountain, that's going to be your most satisfying period of time to view your performance. Not necessarily, not indicative of, <clears throat> probably not indicative of long-term average or expected return of your portfolio because we don't just have mountains. When you're an investor, we have we have mountains and valleys and everything in between. So that's not in, that's not realistic, but that's a very fun and exciting time to report performance. Like I have, I can think of one client, for example, who happened to roll his retirement plan to me in about March of 2020. And last year we were having our review meeting and that was, it was just glorious numbers because he did have the perspective of, yeah, I understand. And uh, on the flip side, the worst time to report performance is top of a mountain to the valley. And people understand that perspective too. But I do think it's important when I'm, and again, I had, I can think of someone who rolled dollars to me at the end of 2021. And here we are midway through the year doing a little check-in and here's your first performance report. And it's not an exciting one. And that can be hard for people to understand. But it is important in that example for someone to understand, okay, here's what I can report to you, your dollars rolled in, whatever, November, December of 2021, and here's what the market has done since. I can report this to you. But it's important to understand that this particular client, for example, as, as well as I'm sure many, were invested prior to that and probably have some great years, months and years of returns leading up to that. So really their overall performance is not what I'm showing them, but I can only report so much. Whereas I'm not capturing the period of time where they had great performance, unfortunately. <laughs> but but it's, I think it's good for them to have that perspective. But anyway, I guess I don't need to go down that rabbit hole too far, but I did pull like some uh, <clears throat> bottom of bear market to top of bull market returns of the S&P, like March of 2000. 2009, which was coming out of, which was the bottom of the credit crisis market. And the recovery started March of 09 from that. And then we had an incredibly long bull market, which is the good one after that. And so if you report S&P performance from March of 09 through December of last year, S&P was almost 17 and a half percent per year. And that was at 12 almost 12 year, more than 12 year period of time, yeah. which is a really good time to report performance. So that's what, it's, yeah, 12 year period of time. But then if I look at, where's another one? I had 1998 to 2010, which is another 12 year period of time. December of 1998 to December of 2010 was, December of 1998 was close to the top of the tech Boom! The tech bubble started early 2020. Yeah. And December of 2010 was still beginning stages of the recovery from the credit crisis. So this was, I'm calling, I was trying to find like a mid-market period of time to report, but this period was right before a downturn to right after a downturn, which is also, which is a terrible time to report performance. And the yeah. S&P 500 for that 12 year period of time, which is pretty long in the world of investing. We're always talking about 10 plus years is a pretty long period of time in the world of investing. And it is, but in that period of time, S&P 500 earned 2.3% per year. Wow. 
And I was trying to find, I just happened to stumble on that one. I was looking at the chart and I was trying to find like a, I was looking for like partway up the mountain to partway up the mountain. I was trying to find like a mid cycle one. And I just happened to look at that one. And I was trying to find a 12 year period of time, just apples to apples there in terms of time periods, duration anyway. And isn't that, I ran that one a couple times and I was like, am I? Glasses blurry. Yeah, but, but. yeah. I think yeah. The, the whole I think the whole point that we're getting at is that the you need to take a long term perspective, which we are obviously trained to do because that's what we do all all day long with our clients. The moment from that you're measuring in can give you a very skewed view of what's likely to play out over your lifetime. Right? Yeah, yeah. When you happen to join the advisor who or fund family that is currently reporting your returns has a huge impact on what you're showing. It just, it, it just be happenstance. So I started at a great time. And so everything, I look like a genius or my advisor looks like a genius and, or, yeah. Hey, you know, I just handed this $500,000 in late 2021. And now all of a sudden it's down 13%. Like what's going on? Here? Yeah. So it's not the, it's, it, it, I think we try to, we spend a lot of time trying to even out though the ups and downs and, and what you're seeing in, at a given moment. Yeah, and giving perspective. All right, we have to take a break. I want to talk after the break of like what does a bear market mean to you in terms of responding to common questions people have. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We're just taking a break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from this scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781-834-2010. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara, this morning. Good morning. Good morning. We are just talking about what we want to talk about this morning. Just flying by the seat of our pants. Now I have an outline, but it's. <laughs> I don't, but I was off, off the break. I have more on my outline now than we probably have time for. And I was just figuring out what direction we want to go in. Okay. I just but, want to follow up on one thing. Yeah. Hang on a second. I want to follow up on one thing. I, I just wanted to make sure that folks know that... Also, when you're looking at current investment returns, most people are looking at a return called an internal rate of return, right? There are different ways to measure your investment rate of return. Yeah. And I think the sort of the industry standard is something called an internal rate of return, which does weight more recent performance, especially if you have a larger dollar amount in your account, the more recent performance has a larger impact on your longer term numbers. So just if you think about like the natural mm. investing life cycle, you started out when you were 25 and you had 10 grand, but now you're 45 and you have hundreds of thousands of dollars in there. If you get a bear market when you have $500,000, it, it has a, an outsized impact on your rate of return, on, on your longer term rates of return, if you are measuring what we call internal rate of return, which is just, it, it factors in how much money you have when you're getting a given return. So I just, that's maybe a little too nerdy, but I did want to mention that. No, right? that's very exciting that you brought that up actually, because I have talked about the difference between <laughs> internal rate of return and time weighted return. I've talked about this more in the last six months than I can ever remember. Yeah. And so to follow up on what you just said, also internal rate of return Again, the normal, I call internal rate of return, I don't know, like your actual return. It's, it factors in timing of cash flows. So if you're adding money or subtracting money from your portfolio, 
it's factoring in not like the dollar amount of that, but it's factoring in the timing of that. And so I simplistically explain it as this is your rate of return, which is why we use this calculation because it factors in everything. The other way to an, another way to report return is called time weighted return, yep. where I call time weighted return like the portfolio's return or it's for example McNamara Financial we're managing our assets for our clients it's more like our performance because this is the performance right. of the securities that we've re recommended to you and put in your portfolio but it doesn't factor in timing of cash flows so for example I had a client recently I don't remember the specifics but something like what you're just talking about where they had let's say in one account for example they had $10,000 invested in a Roth IRA, for example. And <clears throat> we had a great last few years for that $10,000 in the Roth IRA. But then they, just summarizing, they then they transferred in an account from somewhere else and they added, let's say, $30,000 to that Roth IRA via transfer from somewhere else. You can't just add that to a Roth unless you're converting. Yep. separate topic. And if they did that, let's say December of 2021, right before this market downturn, that is hugely impactful in a negative way in this example, yeah. in the internal rate of return calculation, because the size of the dollars that rolled in that example, what did I say? 30,000 compared to the prior balance of only $10,000. And the timing of that right before a downturn is, in, is incredibly impactful. So I would be seeing like a three-year rolling return and I would look at it and be like, that just, that doesn't look right. And then I dig deeper and it was like, oh, they, they transferred some money in or they made a, like if it was a $6,000 Roth and they added another 6,000 or 12,000 over a couple tax years, then again, that can be really negatively impactful with the internal rate of return calculation. And yep. so this is a period of time where I've just come across several of those recently where new dollars flowed into a portfolio in retrospect, not the perfect time from a market cycle perspective, and it can really affect rates of return. But so what I do in those situations is I say, okay, here's your actual return and I explain it and all that. And then you can do a side-by-side different return calculation, a time-weighted return, and say, okay, this is what the portfolio did. Take a deep breath, breathe easy. This is how the portfolio is doing just fine, for example. But this is what explains your rate of return. And it's and that's something that will even out over a long period of time. But like you're saying, very recent, very recent activity more heavily affects an internal rate of return calculation. So I'm glad you actually went off on that little tangent. I like that. Yeah, if we're talking about per perspective during bear markets, it's a, it's an important one to remember too. It's just yeah. there's lots that goes into a long-term rate of return calculation, and there's investment strategy changes, right? There's timing of investments. There's a lot that goes into it, yeah. and we should just try to cover all the all the things that lend perspective to to what's going on right now. Yeah. All right. How about the difference between? So again, we talk, and I will take blame for some of this. We I. I, we as investment professionals in general slash I in specific often talk about the S&P 500 because, well, people are, I don't know, when you talk about markets, people just inevitably want to talk about the U.S. market. That's what we hear about on the news. We hear about the Dow or the S&P. We just talk about the S&P as the market, you and I and sort of investment professionals in general. But I do think the perspective is helpful that 
your portfolio's return is not does not will not necessarily and actually probably more frequently than not will not align with the performance of the S&P 500 and there are very good reasons for that and there are times when you don't want your portfolio's performance to align with the S&P 500 last year you did and right. like the couple years before but not always and we could, I get, we've only got 20 minutes left in today's show, but we could have a whole show about the importance of diversification. We probably don't have time right now, but in general, it's prudent in my opinion and many, the opinion of many investment professionals that, that portfolios should be diversified, meaning you should have exposure to either the S&P 500 or something comparable, large United States companies. You yeah. should have exposure to that but that shouldn't be all of your exposure. There's a lot of research and statistics and history has helped us understand that there are also great investment opportunities in small companies and mid-sized companies and international companies. And some people don't shouldn't own just stocks in their portfolio. They should own bonds and cash and similar type securities. So this, so diversification is generally accepted and, but, in, in the investment world, right, with investment professionals, but investors that hear about pretty much exclusively the U.S. market on the news and no other markets really, unless they're really listening to a lot of financial news. Yeah, I'm watching, yeah, what is it, CNBC? CNBC, yeah. And they, they lack, I don't know, I think they lack the perspective that you're, just because the S&P is doing this doesn't mean your portfolio is doing that because you have a diversified portfolio. And like I said, that can be hard for people in, in, in good times <laughs> when the S&P is having great years, which actually it has for a very long time, historically a very long time, the S&P yeah. has been, a, been an over, I don't know if you want to use the word overperformer, how long can we use that word before it's not overperformance, it's just performance. But it's been a very long period of time where the S&P has done very well against comparing it to other categories of investments. And it's, it, I think it's just hard for people to understand that why their portfolio's performance isn't more aligned with that. And I honestly think we need like two more hours to, to go into that. Yes, it's, I, we should also point out that it's fairly understandable at this point where why people would continue to look at the S&P 500 performance and say, wow, this thing, it seems like this is the place to be versus literally everywhere else, maybe besides like the NASDAQ from a long-term performance point of view. And so I, I don't, I don't, we don't say that with any judgment where, you know, oh, hey, you should be diversified and that's just the way it is. But the long-term rates of return on specifically the U.S. market and the S&P 500, it's, they've had such a long period of outperformance that the questions I would say are certainly understandable. Yeah, I pulled some, I tried to pull some data on, let's see, I pulled some calendar year returns and then I have some information on the performance of international stocks versus United States stocks. But if you go back and I found a chart, this chart's a little bit dated, it only goes through 2019. It goes from 1975 to 2019. Okay. And this is a chart, you, I'm sure you've seen it. It was provided, one of the institutions that we get research from is Lippman Gregory. They have a different name now, don't they? Do they? No. Yeah, yeah they have a, a corporate parent. Now, oh, okay. Yeah, they have the same name. You know. Anyway, this is a chart I got, we just subscribed to some of their research and a chart that I got from them a f couple of years ago now, I guess if it goes through 2019, a few years ago. And 
what it showed was simplistically stated the differentials in returns of U.S. stocks and international stocks and yep. how in this, what is that, 45-ish year period of time, there are some really big differentials in returns of domestic versus international stocks. This happened to be charting like rolling five-year returns. It wasn't annual returns, but it was kind yeah. of looking like through longer periods of time where what the chart show, I, I know it's hard to explain a chart on radio, but what the chart is basically showing is that historically speaking, so if we go back about 45 years, the it's not uncommon for U.S. stocks to outperform international stocks by quite a bit and vice versa. So in right. this last 10, 12, let's say goes back, yeah, 10 or 12 years, yes, U.S. stocks have significantly outperformed international stocks, but that's not always the case. From right. like 2002 to almost 2012, so it was like the prior 10-year period of time was quite the opposite, where international stocks quite significantly outperformed U.S. stocks. And then the 10 years prior to that was like U.S. outperformed. And then the five or six or seven years prior to that, internationals outperformed. So it's just, again, it's perspective. And the longer something, the more time that goes by and something, I don't know, what am I trying to say? It's, I think it, I would it, say that in, in the investment world, long-term really means long-term. It's, hmm. you know, our perspective almost like as humans is not to just say, oh, hey, this is, uh, this is what's happening right now, but uh, in a decade from now, this is all going to normalize and it'll be just fine. That's a hard thing for us to, for yeah. <laughs> the human psyche to kind of wrap their head around. And your advisor says, well, hey, you know what? For the last uh, decade, we ought not have been diversified, but but we it'll work this decade for you. You should have yeah. just had all your money in the S&P 500. It's not Obviously, I'm, I'm oversimplifying here to make the example because no one really, it's not, that's not a very common investment strategy, but right. that the point is long-term means long-term and you can go through very long cycles of underperformance and outperformance. And we had a, we have a globalizing world and U.S. companies, mm. specifically the big tech firms have been the ones to capitalize on that. I'd say maybe the most, right? The Facebooks, the, the Apples and Amazons of the world. That doesn't mean the next decade will be the mm. same. You have, you can have over long periods of time, you can have major changes to the global economy, right? If all of a sudden there, we start deglobalizing, and it's harder for for Apple to to sell iPhones in in China and the rest of the world, then you could see a significant underperformance of, say, maybe the U.S. tech giants. And if all of a sudden, if Europe decides that they don't want Google, that's mm. and these are again, that's an extreme example, but. You certainly see a little bit of a retreat of globalization, and yeah. it's the kind of thing that you could see a, a major switch in in the. Not, it's not really recent, but <laughs> in the last decades worth of investment performance, you could see a very drastically different regime over the next decade. Yeah, I think what you said about investors or people in general have a heart. They, our clients anyway in general know that investment strategies are long term. Like I could be talking to a forty five year old, and they know that their retirement money has like a 20 year or more time horizon. Yeah. But it's hard for people to, I guess it's just hard for them to think that long and just inevitably thinking short term and what's happening in the world now. And I maybe what it is that people, they think the short term might have some lasting effect on the long term. I think that might be what it is that they're like because we'll always hear what's different now this is different this is a different yeah. situation and maybe i'm 60 now 
Yeah. As opposed to, hey, last time when well, last time we went through this, I was uh, I was 48, and that's a long time ago. But now I'm retiring in the next few years. So yeah. It's, yep. Yeah. But anyway, I think it's hard to think long term, even though that's usually what you should be doing. Yeah. Anyway, my, my original idea for today's show, which we don't really have, we only have 10 minutes to answer all these questions, but I was thinking some of the more common questions I get at times of market volatility are things like, should we be doing something different? Should my portfolio change? Does anything have to change in my world? And I think when I get a lot of these questions, people know the answer to it, but they just want to talk it out and hear it. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah, I guess... I guess We'd probably need an hour or two to talk through and different situations and how to answer those questions in in times of market volatility. And here we are, what I guess almost well eight eight months into this market downturn, which really started early, very early January, almost the first of the year. Yeah. Uh, but I have had several conversations with people about what do I do at times like this, and they don't. I think they know that we're going to say generally do not generally doing nothing is the best strategy, and but there are very few situations where it might be prudent to change your investment strategy, but not very often. And I can think of a couple situations where someone was cash on the sidelines and this presents a good buying opportunity and things like that. But just in general, overall, not necessarily prudent to make any changes at times like these, unless we see a, but what I would take from, one thing I do take from the conversations I have with clients, the people that are asking those questions about what should I do? This is making me nervous. Should we change anything? The one thing I take from that is if someone is feeling uncomfortable, I guess a lot of people are feeling uncomfortable, but if someone is feeling uncomfortable enough to make a phone call to their advisor in a time like this and ask about a a, a change in your investment strategy, No, this probably isn't the right time to make a change in your investment strategy, but this is something that we should absolutely discuss when markets recover, not guaranteed, but I have faith that they will. And this, that is a per, that's that client, whoever is asking that question is going to be one of the first people that I chat with about, let's talk about making a change now, right? When, again, not guaranteed, but when we see markets recover from this downturn, I think they will at some point. The people that are very nervous right now are the people that are going to want to consider a change later when it's a better or more opportune time from an investment perspective to do. So I think it's just, this is a good, this is a good gauge. Markets like this are a good gauge of, I think it's really the only accurate gauge of comfort level with market risk. Yeah, it is a very good stress test for how you're feeling about your portfolio. And again, we talk all the time about how risk tolerance is not is not a science at all. And you sometimes you you think that you are invested properly from a risk return point of view, but then you end up in a lousy market and you just it's more stress inducing than you thought it was going to be. And again, those, these are not, just to be clear, these are not easy discussions to have. We, we say your advisor can sit there and say, hey, this is, we should address this when the market recovers. To be clear, that could be years from now. In, in theory, we, the market could certainly get worse from here and the recovery time of when, you know, of, of top to bottom could be measured in years as opposed to months. So it's, they're not easy discussions to, and it's not something that you should take lightly. Obviously, if you're feeling uncomfortable with your investment strategy and you have someone helping you, you, you certainly should be having that discussion. We only have a few more minutes, but one of the, when I was doing my research for this morning, I found an interesting piece that the Hartford funds put together. And I think it was, I don't know if it was earlier this year or last year they put it together, but it was just like a piece on, um, it's called 10 things you should know about bear markets. And it was put out by the Hartford funds, no affiliation. I just happened to find it online and it looked like some good, um, interesting information. And one of the, one of the 10 things along this lines of some people 
in down markets, this one isn't super scary right at the moment, but in scary down markets, some people just inevitably want to make a change. They want to get more conservative. They want to go to cash. They want to do something that makes them feel better. You and I know that's not a, for most situations, not a good financial move. But just this interesting point here is that half of the S&P 500, half of the S&P's strongest days in the last 20 years occurred during bear markets i.e. Yeah. stay in the market. And another 34% of the S&P's best performing days took place in the first two months of a bull market. So the very, right. so great days to be an investor in the S&P during bull, bear markets, which are the bad ones, and at the very beginning of the recovery. Now, bear in mind that the very beginning of a recovery is before you start hearing on the news that there is a recovery. <laughs> right. So these people that I want to get out of the market and put my money in cash and I'm going to get back in later, they're not hearing that it's a good time to get back in until after all this greatness has happened. Yep. So, which is like right there is the reason or one of the reasons that it's really best to just ride out markets because when you feel these people that get nervous and make a change and want to do something later when it's better, they miss a lot or most or all of the investment, the good investment opportunities, unfortunately. So there is, yeah, some interesting stuff on this heart for peace. And that's where I got the statistic. Average bear market is 30. down 36% in less than 10 months. So actually right now, what are we, almost nine months into a bear market? Is that top to bottom or mm. top to recovery? Must be top to bottom. It doesn't define it right here. It must be top to bottom. The average yeah. length of a bear market is 9.6 months. Oh, yeah, we're close. We're like almost right there on the average. Yeah. Maybe we'll hit it exactly. Almost right there. And the average bull market, bull is the good one, is actually there's a couple statistics. The average good market, if we go back to 1920, was it 1929 or 1922? Sorry. Back to 1928. Okay. The average good market, bull market, is 2.7 years, so almost okay. three years. However, the average good market post-World War II is 5.4 years in length. Okay. So yeah, they post have, the cycles have been extending themselves. Post-1945. And there are... Back to 1928, there have been 26 bear markets, which are the bad ones, but almost half of those were before World War II. Okay. So 12, 12 bear markets from 1928, I think, to 1945, and f only 14 bear markets after 1945. Yeah. I think about the more modern period is the one where we've had, I think if you look at recent if you had yeah. those numbers even recently for the past like 20 years, it'd probably be even longer ups. I feel like it, I, my guess is, again, that it corresponds with people like us giving advice to the public and saying, suggesting. <laughs> Just being so smart uh, and helpful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which probably leads to maybe some higher highs um, uh, and then needs for larger corrections. But I also um, think more sophisticated or more involved government, monetary policy, more mature yeah, yeah, monetary sure, sure. policy after World War II as well. Yeah. I, I think the government has a role in that. Yeah, sure.
like it and or then, not. Yeah, and again, a roll on probably making having things go up higher than they than they should. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very true. All right, we just have another minute or so. Oh, we don't. That's the music. Oh, we're good to go. All right. Perfect Thanks time. for listening, everyone. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. Joined this morning by my brother and business partner Justin McNamara. You can find out more about us at McNamaraFinancial.com or McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com. We also have a podcast. You can search your podcatcher for McNamara on Money. We turn all of our live shows into podcasts. So check us out there if you missed any recent shows. I hope everyone has a great weekend and we'll see you next time. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Take care, everybody.